Hello, my name is Puyan Fard, and this is the first episode of our brand new customer analytics podcast. So what is our podcast about? Clearly about customer analytics. And customer analytics is simply the application of predictive analytics, artificial intelligence, and data science technologies in marketing and consumer behavior. Nowadays, we have the emerging trends that brands, no matter large or small, need to move away from a product-centric approach towards the customer-centric approach. What does that mean? It means that companies need to leverage artificial intelligence or big data technologies to understand the needs of their individual customers, create relevant offers for them, and give them the product that they truly want. These are how large players like Amazon or Netflix are succeeding in today's marketplace. And as the marketplace becomes more competitive and consumers gain more power, companies need to adapt to the new situation, to the new normal, and employ these technologies in terms of predictive marketing to grow their business. Since years ago, I was always fascinated by understanding and studying the human behavior. For example, how humans make their decisions and how to understand the underlying causes of those internal decisions. In 2010, I started working in neuroscience and artificial intelligence field. Before even the big data or artificial intelligence were such hot topics like they are in today's marketplace. We use predictive models to understand the underlying mechanisms of how humans make their decisions or do a specific actions. Fast forward to today, I'm running a boutique consulting agency focused on artificial intelligence and data science, especially customer analytics. We work with clients of different sizes from small startups up to Fortune 500 companies to optimize the marketing processes. In customer analytics podcasts, we want to bridge the gap between the worlds of marketing and big data. We will bring marketing and big data experts from the startups and large corporates and talk about marketing analytics, marketing data science, and customer analytics. In today's episode, we have Kimberly Afonso as our guest, and we want to discuss the current and upcoming trends in the digital marketing world, especially during 2020 and in the post-pandemic world. Kimberly is the CEO and founder of Kimberly Afonso, the global marketing and consulting agency. And through her experience, she has mastered various digital marketing areas, including digital advertising, paid media, and personal branding. She's known as the CEO Whisperer, as she is an expert in marketing strategy and personal branding too. Through her experience, Kimberly has helped many company executives to find winning digital marketing strategies and grow their business. Kimberly is also running one of the world's most unique digital marketing agencies. This is because she has set her mission to empower female founder entrepreneurs and bring their expertise to our industry. Welcome to our podcast, Kimberly. How are you doing? Thank you, Poyan. It's great to see you. You have a great view. So always great to see different parts of the world through podcasts. Great to have you here. Okay, now, Kimberly, we are nearly uh, through the end of 2020, and it was a crazy year for the digital marketing world, right? So many trends in the B2B, B2C sectors, in the marketing worlds, and a lot of things are shifting, actually. So we see significant changes uh, compared to the years before in the consumer sentiment, especially in the Western world. 
and uh, but this also varies uh, across different geographies different countries also different industries and this totally affects how digital marketers plan and execute their campaigns right what do you think yeah that's a great question Poyan. i think that this year has definitely been one of big shifts um, one of the biggest shifts I've seen because of COVID is that in the marketing space, there aren't really events. So a lot of big brands usually put a lot of money into events. Now we're seeing that as there aren't these big conferences, big events that they usually invest in, they have to take that spend and use it. Maybe that spend is actually less than normal and they want to shift that online as you know, customers are always online. We saw that since COVID, there are actually more people using you know, social platforms, more people are online because they're working from home. There are less things to do outside. What does that mean for digital marketers? That means that on one hand, there are more opportunities to use spend, put it into digital marketing, put it into platforms such as the different you know, social media platforms for organic reach, put it into platforms for paid advertising. But at the same time, that also means that the space has become more crowded. So digital marketing spend really needs to be thought about really clearly. And I would recommend to any brand out there, any you know, product, service, whatever it is, keeping KPIs in mind, key performance indicators, and planning with sprints of three to six months. Because as things shifted, so did you know, return on digital ad spend the crowdedness of the space. So those things do need to be much more monitored than they were before. Um, so a lot of pros and cons there as, as you can you can imagine. That's great to know, Kimberly. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. So now you, you discuss about paid advertising. So let's deep dive into the B2C side of digital marketing first. Uh, so we know that uh, a lot of these advertising platforms, including Facebook, Google, uh, big giants, and also other platforms, uh, the cost per click on these platforms for pay-per-click ads was significantly lower right after the pandemic, maybe in April, May. So we had a really uh, like lower cost per click this year. On the other hand, consumers were also more conservative, like in the Western countries, the studies shows that uh, most of consumers are only focusing buying necessities rather than luxuries that they were used to buy before. So maybe uh, the cost per clicks are lower, but the conversions also uh, might be lower. So therefore has, has an effect on the general return of investment on the advertising campaigns. So how do you think paid media experts should react to these shifting trends? Do you already see any reaction from the media agencies transitioning into this new normal? specifically to these shifting consumer trends? Yeah, that's a great question and great analysis. I completely agree. Cost per clicks may have been lower, but maybe you aren't getting as many conversions. So I think that anyone running ads, any paid media expert especially, should always think about how to capture that customer information. So more than ever before, it's very important to try to get the emails of those customers, try to retarget them. Make sure that if you're a smaller brand, you have everything in place for retargeting, pixels, whatever it may be so that you can interact with that customer six to 12 times. We know that customers don't buy 
um, unless they've seen a brand, you know, quite a few times. And with COVID, with spending trends, it's completely true that maybe people were clicking, but they may not be buying on the first, second, third time that they see your product. So I think with that, patience is key on the brand side. So, you know, you will need some more patience to get your funnel right. Retargeting is really, really crucial. And, you know, each customer profile universe is different. So I wouldn't say that for paid media experts, there's a key thing to apply to each and every situation because you may have a customer profile universe that is younger, that wants a cheaper product, while others that are older or have different habits want are going to buy you know, a more expensive product, but it's going to depend on so many factors. So what I usually suggest, I think it didn't change during COVID, even in this environment, is that you really have to set your key performance indicators and really you know, take your ads as not just something that you want to do one off. I think the biggest mistake um, that I see in general is if a brand says, we just want to test ads. I don't really suggest anyone just testing. I think you have to have a plan of, you know, you want to try things for at least a few months because you're not going to be able to see just from one ad if your idea is good, if it's picking up or anything like that. And on the other hand, I think from the paid media expert side, um, it's good to be transparent and to explain to your clients that it does take a few months just to even learn what's working, what can shift. Um, ads are super accessible, but again, it's a long-term game. And you know, with different shifting customer habits, I have seen brands that, for example, could potentially sell beforehand um, directly through ads, but now, Maybe they had to give a freebie instead, then bring the customer through a funnel and then sell, you know, privately. What I mean by privately is, you know, selling through their email list as opposed to selling directly through ads. So just taking, I think, all of that into consideration all of the time, making sure that you're setting the right expectations with any new um, product or service or client. And also, on the other hand, you know, looking at what is realistic. Um, setting those benchmarks, that's usually what sets anyone up for success. These are great insights, Kimberly. Uh, I really appreciate that. So now one of the trends that I actually have been noticing in, in the direct-to-consumer brands, uh, you know, in the last decade with the availability of so much uh, investment from venture capital or other uh, capital sources into startups and even corporate world, a lot of companies were more or less very relaxed and optimistic about their customer lifetime values. So they, uh, they kind of afforded to spend upfront to get a customer and then enable their customer lifetime value. And they didn't feel like they have to be profitable in the first few interactions with the customers. For example, what we are seeing right now, you, me you mentioned about the email marketing uh, and, and capturing emails, interacting with the customers. We had this trend a lot in the e-learning industry that companies offered a lot of value upfront. Uh, but uh, right now we are seeing these trends and this push for the companies to become profitable even in their unit economics. And that's absolutely changing for the, uh, the type of experience that consumers are going through. So how do you see these changes in the marketplace? Well, I think there's usually not a one size fits all truth to any of these things. You know, we see a lot of 
brands that they can give a lot of value upfront for free, and then they probably are only making a profit over the really big upsells. There are other ones who, you know, do have tons of different, um, you know, very entry level pricing, and they're selling a ton of it. I think there's really not a one size fits all approach. And it's hard to say what I can say trends wise is I have seen, especially in e-learning that the market has become much more crowded than it has been two years ago. So I think there were a lot more opportunities then. I also have noticed that Instagram is putting a lot more ads on any feed. So when someone goes to Instagram, and just scrolls on their normal feed, you'll probably see way more ads than you did a few years ago. So what does that mean? Consumers are also having even more ad fatigue than they did before. So they're entering you know, a more crowded market. On top of that, there's more ad fatigue. These are you know, really big things to take into consideration. Um, overall, I think it depends on how much money do you have to invest in this product or service? You know, are you the, you the brand, you the corporation? How much do you have to spend on this? Um, you know, some people are entering the market with huge investments behind them so they can afford to play around with customer lifetime value and try to be profitable on the back end. If you're a solopreneur, however, um, that's probably not going to work for you because you're going to, you know, spend a lot of money right away. So you're going to have to think of ways to definitely upsell um, afterwards and do that quickly so that you can become profitable. So I think we can't look at, when I see things online, it's clear from an outside point of view that there are some key players who have been there for a long time and have huge investments behind them. There are some new people who are starting. However, they're starting with a great base of investment that they can you know, work on tweaking things. And then there are other people who are entering super niche markets and they're probably solopreneurs or they have really lean teams. So of course, each of these cases is going to be really different on what they can, can come up with, what they can try, um, what their limits will be for profitability. So it's really, I think, trying to optimize within your means. Um, I have seen, you know, eBooks that are profitable at a lower price. I've seen eBooks that aren't profitable at a lower price. It's really across the board. I've seen um, people that normally would be able to sell with ads and now they're really selling actually more through organic content just because of how the algorithms have changed. So as social media is always changing all of the time, all of the platforms are always changing, the algorithms are changing. It's really always you have to take things case by case. And the one thing that I always say to anybody who you know comes to me, works with me, um, has a consultation call is just because someone else is doing something doesn't mean that you always should and vice versa. Just because someone else isn't doing something doesn't mean you can't do that. So for example, if we see really one of the stars online, um, there are many of them, but you know, the stars that have these key, you know, digital products, just because they have that doesn't mean that's going to sell well for you and your niche and vice versa. They may have something and you know, you may be very well equipped to go more corporate and sell something more expensive, or you may be more equipped to sell something, you know, really cheap. So it's, you really, it's a case by case, by case basis. And you really learn, I think, um, as you go. So that's why it's always important to have these expectations of going um, into this. I always also like to reframe that your marketing spend should be an investment. So in most cases, marketing is an investment and you will have an ROI, 
However, you have to think of it as an investment and you can't always think of it as I'm going to, I want to pay, you know, $500, put this into ads and I want to get back 2000. It's not that you won't get back 2000, but you have to think of that 500 as an investment and as a learning tool that will set you up for success. That's usually the key there. And usually that reframe helps people because, you know, there is a lot of false information as well out there that says, if you invest 1000, you're going to get back 10. It's not that you won't get back the 10, but you probably won't get it back in the actual steps and the way that you think you will. I totally agree. It's all about testing, testing, testing and analytics. So we, we always talked about uh, shifting trends uh, in, in all over the industry, in the consumers, in, in how marketers uh, react to these uh, changes. And now one of the tools that, for example, from my background as a data scientist, uh, a lot of companies, especially big brands, uh, big consumer brands use is data science and analytics, uh, specifically predictive analytics uh, to, to enable the marketing strategy to capture these shifting trends or even predict it. So, for example, we have worked with clients who use uh, predictive models such as demand forecasting based on historical data to, to predict the uh, amount of demand, amount of sales in the future. So now uh, there is this issue due to pandemic about this roller coaster of pandemic that uh, a lot of these issues and the current situation, the data that is coming in, doesn't have any connection whatsoever to the historical data, what was happening in 2017, what was happening in 2018. And a lot of companies need to retrain, either, either retrain their predictive models or come up with new models to improve their marketing campaigns. So as a marketing expert, how much interaction did you have with this type of tools, predictive analytics use cases? And how do you think that these tools can help the digital marketing experts within their companies? Yeah, I think these tools are really necessary, especially when you're moving into mid to large size businesses who are playing around with big budgets. Because if you're spending, you know, 100,000 on ads per month and you tweak something to give you a two to 3% more return, it makes a big difference. Um, so I think all of these tools are super, super important when you move to mid to large size companies. And I do recommend them. Um, of course, most of them do come with an investment either in your data science team or in the actual tools. So of course you wanna make sure that you are actually spending enough to justify the, the cost of all of these tools. Now, I think you said many interesting things. I agree that the historical data from years before is not the same as you know, what we're seeing with the pandemic. I think you can still pick and choose certain things. There are usually seasonal trends, for example, that may still be more or less accurate. Um, weather trends may be accurate for certain types of businesses. Um, things like that can still be applied from those old models. And I would say that on top of that, again, this year is going to be one that is a little bit different because of the pandemic, but using those tools plus Google Analytics, plus seeing if your um, customers are new, are they returning, are they in certain parts of the world that you know, may be less affected by, by the pandemic or trends or closings, whatever it may be. There are still always ways to use that data to be successful. And I, I really suggest for anyone to use um, data across the board when, you know, working with ads because, and working with really any marketing, organic, 
um, website traffic, whatever it may be, it's, it's honestly the best and easiest way to see trends, to see what your customers like, to understand what they don't like, to understand where they naturally click, because those insights alone allow you to test on a deeper level and have better results. That's great to know, Kim Early. And now let's talk a little bit more about our dear B2B marketers, because we gave a lot of attention to the B2C and paid advertising. So what do you think has been changing in terms of overall messaging on these B2B platforms? And how do you think that future South leaders need to adapt their content marketing strategy, their branding uh, to, to capture these shifting trends? That's a great question. Um, I love B2B marketing. As you said, Poyan, it's my favorite part of marketing. B2B marketing is all about brand awareness. I think that's the number one thing is that you need strong brand awareness and you need to create credibility, authority, and trust in every single thing that you're posting. I've seen some great trends and some great shifts. So on LinkedIn right now, video is down. So video is not as effective as, as it used to be. However, slideshows are very effective using statistics are very effective. I've seen LinkedIn shift to try to be a little bit more um, B2C in a way, a little bit more like Instagram with things like stories. However, even though we're noticing those shifts of the use of stories, things like that, I think people really like using LinkedIn as the professional network and they like keeping it really professional. So things that I've seen get a lot of traction lately have been things like white papers, things like infographics with very corporate-like stats. Um, some of my clients, their best content is that more corporate content, which I think is good because I think if we look across social media, LinkedIn is really the business platform. And I think people want to keep it that way because those are the posts that are getting the most traction. Now, when it comes to B2B marketing, some of the trends that I've seen is that I think leaders across the board are realizing how important brand awareness is just as we're at home, um, before someone books a meeting with you, before they even reach out to you. I've had it a million times happen with people who have ended up being my clients. They search on your LinkedIn, on your website, they do their due, due diligence and you want everything there to really speak to your customer profile universe. Um, people on LinkedIn are often lurkers as we call them, which are people who see your posts, but they don't like them. So, you know, you may only get 13 likes, but you're getting 700 views or impressions which is really impressive. That's a huge network of people who are seeing you every single day. And it does make a huge difference long-term um, to convert, to make sales easier, to build trust, to get referrals, all of those things. Um, other things I've seen is that corporate pages, I think are doing very well to create their own style, which they should of course have, but also to highlight employees even more. So employer branding, employee advocacy, Highlighting your employees is something very important. And on those personal thought leadership profiles of leaders, um, I think more and more sharing their own opinions, using the LinkedIn features to publish articles, things like that, you know, each person having their own style and also keeping the thought leadership profile of the leader, keeping their branding also consistent, creating branding for them the same way that they would on their corporate, on their corporate pages is also something I think that's very important. It builds a lot of consistency. It makes it clear that they are thought leaders. Um, one other trend I have seen because of COVID, I believe, is that more people seem to be publishing books or spending time on that. Maybe these leaders 
often were you know traveling a lot before now they have more time to do those activities which i think are great too these are um, in my agency personally we we create thought leadership stacks we call them for each of our clients and then we decide you know are we going to do your linkedin are we going to do pr outreach podcast outreach um, are we going to create a Forbes profile for you? We do kind of an all-inclusive plan that depends on their needs, their, their personality, many different factors. And what I've seen is that those thought leadership stacks of people are including new things, I think, because many of these leaders now are at home more. They're able to write a book. They're able to consider doing a different type of recording. They're able to consider doing a podcast, even if it's you know very niche and just with other leaders they're able to consider those other things. So their thought leadership stack is a little bit, you know, widened. And I think that's really good because then in the end, when people search for you on um, Google, for example, maybe before only your LinkedIn was popping up and now your LinkedIn, your personal website, in addition to the corporate website and also other things like your podcast or your Forbes profile may be popping up for those leaders, which is great all around for their SEO, branding, um, B2B marketing, all of that. That's really great to know, Kimberly. Yeah, I totally agree with you that uh, basically tracking, testing all of the ideas, both in B2B and B2C, is the key to success in marketing. And I really appreciate having you on the call and having the insights uh, basically on this episode of our podcast. Is there anything else that you would like to mention? That's all. Thank you so much, Plian. I had really a great time speaking with you, sharing insights. Um, I think my final takeaway would be whatever you're doing, keep testing, keep your, you know, whenever you're doing marketing for B2B or B2C, try to work with partners, your employees, whoever it may be for, you know, six to 12 months, you're going to need that, that time to really even figure out what is working and we know that with B2B, there are long lead times. So in general, if there are long lead times for you normally to close new leads, don't expect that online it will be, you know, 10 times faster. So I think always have realistic expectations. Um, set yourself up for success by working with someone, your employees, external people, whoever it may be that you really trust and who you're willing to invest in your marketing for six to 12 months. And from there, you're going to learn a ton through analytics, through testing, through all of these great tools, you're going to be able to be successful. It's just going to take a little bit of patience, realistic expectations, and an open mind to know that maybe what you started with is going to change a lot. Um, so that's what I'd like to end with. And thank you, Plan, for having me on. It was great. And you know, if any of your listeners have any other questions, they can feel free to add me on LinkedIn or you know, send me an email through my website. I would be happy to answer. Well, Kimberly, it's been fascinating having you on the show. And you're always welcome back on my show. And thank you so much for your ideas and insights. To all of you who are listening, this was an episode of the Customer Analytics Podcast. Thank you for listening and I would love you to subscribe to our podcast and leave us your review. Thank you and until next time.